may be seated. Well, if you want to follow along in the scripture that we're going to be reading today, we're continuing in our series on Ephesians, and we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. And as you move there, I I just want to say uh, this comes right after what Pastor Mark preached last week. And if you weren't able to listen to that, I encourage you, get onto our website, listen to that message. Uh, That message was about what it means to be in the family of God and how in the family of God we have rules that we abide by, uh, a way that we live. And the reason I'm sending you back to listen to that message is this scripture flows directly out of the scripture that he read last week. Uh, And so you're going to get a better understanding of what we're talking about today if you're able to read the previous verses and listen to the message that Pastor Mark has. So uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another and speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So the passage that we have here today is, is very much talking about uh, the Christian walk that we're called to walk uh, in our life. And and we know this because very, at the very outset, Paul has that word, therefore. Okay, so whenever you read that word, therefore, in Scripture, pause, go back to what you read just before that because Paul is setting us up for what's going to come next, or the scripture is setting us up for what's going to come next. And we know that this passage is about the Christian walk because he was just talking about very specific ways that we walk and talk as Christians. And so what Paul moves into now is he says, therefore, now that we have these rules to live by, now that we have guidance on how we should be holy as God is holy, therefore, you need to be careful. And you need to be wise. You need to live wise lives as Christians. And, and Paul spends this time here in these first few verses, and he sums up essentially a contrast between the way that you can live as a Christian. And that contrast is you can either be wise or you can be foolish. And when Paul uses this word foolish, Throughout Scripture, that, that word is really used as an insult. Uh, if you look at my, oh, there's no notes up on the screen, but if you look at my sermon title, where does that come from? Does anybody know I pity the fool? What's that? A-team, that's right. Anybody? Oh, nobody. Okay, sorry. Okay, a few people. Uh, that comes from Mr. T from the A-team, and then also Mr. T from Rocky Three, uh, Clubber Lane. Uh, and what he says is, is an insult. I pity the fool. And then he says, who think, you know, uh, I think in Rocky Three he says, I pity the fool who thinks he can beat me. That's actually kind of how the scripture uses the word fool, is it's an insult. Uh, It's very much an insult. In Proverbs, we hear the writers say that only a fool believes in their heart there is no God. 
And throughout the book of Proverbs, uh, uh, the writer is setting up uh, uh, what is wisdom, what is the way of God, and then he says, but there's not the way of God, and that is foolishness. And he likens that to being like, like an uneducated person or a child or somebody who's naive, who doesn't really know what they're doing. And so when Paul uses these words, be wise or be a fool, he's saying you have the option to either live a godly life that makes sense, that's for the good of your life, or you can go ahead and live a foolish life, a naive life, a life of self-indulgence. And so Paul lays out for us what does a wise life look like and what does a foolish life look like. Well, in the opening, he talks about being wise as being careful. Being careful of how you live your life. Being able to discern what is right and wrong. And, and he says this again just after the last few verses where he lays out for us what is the wrong way of living and what is the right way of living. Paul then says, so now that you have those two options in front of you, be wise about it. Be careful about which way you live. Stay away from all of those things that can pull you back into sin, that can pull you back into your old way of thinking and your old way of life before you met Jesus. Be careful of how you walk. Don't go into places or don't be around people that are going to tempt you to fall back into that old way. And he gives a reason for it, and we'll get into that in just a moment, because the next thing he says is, be diligent or make use of the time that you have. So being wise means that you're living carefully, that you're making right decisions, but then being wise also means that you're making the uh, best use of your time. Now, what does this mean? He contrasts this with the statement, for the days are evil. So, so let's pause right there. And by the way, I, I feel like already I'm all around in this passage. If you could just bear with me. Uh, but what he says in this passage is he says, the days are evil. The days are evil. Now, in Paul's day, that would have been the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, comparatively, was a very evil empire when you compare it to Christian living. You know, they believe that the emperor was God. They believed that you could worship the emperor just like you worshiped any other god. They believed that Christianity was a threat to the empire, and so they were seeking to kill Christians. And in communities where they weren't killing Christians, they were certainly neglecting them from society. And so when Paul says the days are evil, what he's saying to his people at that time is, there are evil people that want to kill you. There are evil people that want to destroy the faith. There are evil people that want this out of the empire. They want it out of the world, and they are looking for you to blame you for everything. And so when Paul says it to his people, he, he's basically saying, you might not have long to live. The days are evil. The, the days are short. Uh, tomorrow they could find your church and destroy everything that you've built up. They could kill you. And so what he's saying to his people is he says, live a wise life. Live a life that if you were to die tomorrow, you know that God would approve of the way that you live. Now, how does that translate for, for us today? Well, it's hard to say because evil has been eradicated, right? 
No, evil still exists. Now, the empire might not be searching for us to seek and and kill us, but we are still surrounded by evil. We are still surrounded by uh, uh, people with poor decision-making. We're still surrounded by people that don't believe in God, that, that live a pagan lifestyle. We still are surrounded in such a way that, I don't know, maybe we won't be here tomorrow. So how should we live our life? Wisely, we should live our life as if though we won't be around tomorrow. And what does that mean? Well, make use of it. What are you going to do? If you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, would you really go home and watch the Packer game? I wouldn't, and now I'm preaching against the Packers, so I'll pause there. But really, you stop to think about it. How much time do we give away to things that have nothing to do with Christianity? You know, how often do we give our time to things that in the end won't really matter? In reality, we need to be looking at our Christian life, making the most of the time that we have here on earth. So that includes making the right decisions, living a holy life for God, but then it also means sharing the word of God with others making sure that others around us know the Christian life that we have and making use of that time so that they will know who God is. Our goal here is that the whole world would believe. Our goal here is that everyone would believe in Jesus Christ. So make use of your time because the days are evil. Jesus is going to come back soon, and when he comes back, it's going to be over. Make use of what you have. Don't get lost in things that have nothing to do with God. Keep your focus on him. And then finally, living a wise life means knowing what the will of the Lord is. And and we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this in a little bit, but basically what Paul is saying here is to live a wise life means that we need to seek what the will of the Lord is. Um, I was just talking to a young man a few nights ago, and, and nobody in this church, for, for any of you parents that are wondering if it was your teen that I talked to, it wasn't, uh, but he had called me up and he was asking about uh, some, uh, we'll just call it spiritual advice on living, and he didn't know what decision to make, and, and he was asking me what my thoughts were, and I threw it back at him and I said, well, have you asked God what his thoughts were? No, I haven't. See, oftentimes, we know what the, will of the God, what the will of God is, but we're kind of afraid to ask him because maybe we don't want to hear what God's will is. And so what I find, at least in my Christian life, is I have a tendency to then go to other people. And, and I know God is going to reveal his will to me, but then I think, ah, oh, man, I really, that's going to be tough. I don't know if I want to do that. So let me go ask a few other people. Hey, I've got this dilemma in my life. And then you know what godly people say to me? Have you talked to God about it? And so then I go back to God. But that, that is wise living. That is what Paul says we need to do as Christians, is seek what God's will is. Ask him. If you ask God what his will is, he's going to reveal it. He's going to let you know. And the important part of this is, are you seeking what his will is? That is wise living. Are you actually wanting to know what God wants you to do? Or have you already made the decision yourself and now you're going to God and you're hoping he approves of it? 
You see the difference? Do you see how one is rather unwise and the other is very wise? Because who has your best interest in mind? Is it really you? Now, at the end of the day, you don't know how bad your decision-making is going to be, but you're making it for yourself. God knows where your decisions are going to lead. And so when he tells you to make a certain decision, he's doing so for your spiritual benefit. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Yeah. You know what I found in my Christian life? God doesn't care how comfortable I am. There's been a few times I've told him, you know, God, I'm really uncomfortable here. And he usually responds with something like, oh, you're uncomfortable? Have you seen what my other people have gone through? Oh, okay, all right, all right, I'll do what you tell me to do. But Paul's point in all of this is to live a wise life is to seek what God's will is and follow it. And we're going to get in a little bit, because I know you're already asking, well, how do we exactly seek God's will, and how does he tell us? We're going to get into that in just a little bit, but let's move on now. What does it mean to live a foolish life? So that's a wise life. Living carefully, staying away from sin, uh, living diligently, making use of the time as if though God is going to come back today, and then, and then seeking what God's will is. Well, being foolish really is just the opposite of that. Uh, at the top of the list, being foolish is not knowing or not caring what God's will is. Being foolish is when you have God's will available to you. You know that if you went to him, he'll tell you what to do, and you decide that might be a little harder than what I want to go through, so I'm going to ignore it. Paul says that's foolish living. You know, here you have the God of the universe all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving. He loves you. He wants what's best for you, and so he tells you to make a decision, and then you say, I really don't want to hear what it is you want me to do. That's foolish living. How could we possibly stand in the presence of God and say, God, I really don't want to hear what's on your mind? That's, that's a foolish way to go about your relationship with God. And so Paul warns against He says, be wise. Listen to what the will of the Lord is. Don't ignore it. And then he gets really specific here. Uh, he says, don't get drunk on wine, for that is dissipation. So what, what do we mean by this? Well, I'm actually going to start, if you can jump ahead to letter C. Um, Letter C here is actually the definition of dissipation. It means self-indulgence. It means a life where you don't care about anybody around you but yourself. The things that you do are only for you, not for anyone. Uh, The literal translation of this from Scripture to English is riot. All right? Don't get drunk on wine, for that's like causing a riot in your own life. And what is a riot? How do those things get started? They get started when people, acting foolishly, begin to do things destructive to others, but they're doing it because it's self-indulging, because they feel powerful in that moment. And so Paul is saying, don't, don't fall into the trap of dissipation. Don't fall into the trap of self-indulgence where the decisions you make are for you and you alone. That's foolish living because that's going to hurt others 
It's going to hurt God, and it's going to hurt your relationship with God. All right? But now, specifically, why does he point out, do not get drunk on wine? So we know that he's saying, don't get involved in self-indulgence. Don't get involved in dissipation. But he specifically says, don't get drunk on wine because that leads to dissipation. Well, there's two reasons. One is, getting drunk was a part of pagan worship. So there's uh, uh, two in particular in the Roman Empire that Christians would have been surrounded by with their neighbors and with their community. One would have been uh, a god who I believe the name was like Diocetan. Uh, I'm definitely getting that name wrong. I don't speak Latin or Greek. But anyway, starts with a D. You come up with the rest of it. Uh, but it was a pagan god, and they believed that if they got drunk, that's how the god inhabited them. And so that's how they worshipped that god, is they would just get together with bottles of wine, they would drink as much as possible, they would get drunk, and they believed then that that god was in their presence inhabiting them, and really they were just dead drunk. That's all. And so Paul is trying to get the church to distinguish the difference between the Christian life and the pagan life. The Christians don't get drunk and assume that God is going to work in their drunkenness. Christians do not become that self-indulgent that we can somehow manipulate God's spirit to enter into us whenever we want So Paul is drawing a distinction between getting drunk and worshiping a pagan god and being filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing what God's will is. The other pagan god, and and this one comes more as an issue of celebration, letter B, was, was the worship of the sun god. So once a year, the entire Roman Empire would shut down. They, 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 nobody would open their businesses, nobody would sell, nobody would buy or trade. Everything was shut down for a celebration of the sun god, the greatest god in the Roman Empire. It was, it was the celebration that we haven't conquered the sun, the sun is greater than us. And do you know what they would do on that day? Get drunk. That was their celebration. From morning till night, night, they would just drink all day. That was their celebration that they worshiped the sun god. Do you know what day that occurred on? December 25th. Well, that sounds like a familiar date, doesn't it? Well, who didn't celebrate the sun god in the Roman Empire? Who didn't get themselves drunk with wine for that as dissipation? The Christians. This is how we've adopted December 25th as a Christmas celebration. While the rest of the Roman Empire was getting drunk celebrating the sun god, Christians would gather together and they would celebrate Jesus. And this was actually one of the only times in the year that everyone in the church could celebrate together because if you shut down buying, selling, and trading, guess who doesn't have to go to work? Slaves. The poor, beggars, all of the people that would usually have to be caught up into this kind of lifestyle, they finally have the day off and they decide that instead of getting drunk with wine to celebrate the sun god, they would gather in their churches to celebrate Jesus Christ. So this command that that Paul gives, don't get drunk on wine for that leads to dissipation, he's calling on us as a church to draw a distinction between how we live and how people of the world live. I've said this before and I'll say it again. 
you are going to make decisions as a Christian that are going to seem downright weird to people who don't know who God is. You are going to make decisions that people are going to look at and say, you really do that? Wait, you wake up early on a weekend to go to church? Wait, wait a second. You don't waste your money on alcohol? Wait, you, you don't get drunk? Wait, you don't live this kind of lifestyle? And what we respond to as Christians is, yeah, it's what God has called us to do. And we live a wise life. We live a life that's pleasing to God. And so these are the two distinctions that Paul is drawing, uh, is drawing out for us to realize that there is a wise way of living and there is a foolish way of living. And obviously, anything outside of Christianity is a foolish way of living. And we're not called to live that way. So now back to that question we had a little bit ago. If being wise means we're understanding what the will of God is, how do we know what the will of God is? Well, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one who shows us what the will of God is. Now, there have been so many books and so many articles that have been written to talk about when are we filled with the Holy Spirit as Christians. And, and for today's message, I'm just going to share with you what I believe. And that is, when you are saved by Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit enters into your life. When you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, died for your sins, and you have asked him for forgiveness of your sins, the Holy Spirit is in your life to lead you and guide you. Which means, as you live your Christian life, God isn't over somewhere else that you have to go to in order to speak with him. You're actually living a life where God is with you 24-7. He's in your heart. He is living with you day by day, which means when you get to that point where you have a question for him, he's right there. You don't have to go anywhere to seek him. He's in your heart. He's in your life. And, and Paul gives some, some uh, uh, what do I say, results of what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Uh, one of the results is uh, we live a worshipful life. And this falls in line with living a wise life, living a life that's pleasing to God. And so what he says is, speak, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, we could preach a whole message on what the difference between psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are. Basically, it's all music. It's all music that talks about God. Uh, psalms, that comes from the scriptures. That's uh, the psalms that we have in the Old Testament. Those were doxologies. Those were praises. Those were prayers. And very importantly, that would have been the song book of the early church. They would have gathered together, and, and before they started a service, they would have sang one of those psalms together. So, so Paul is adamant. We need to sing the psalms. We need to live a life where the psalms are the base for what we do in worship. And then he says hymns. Very plainly, a hymn is any kind of song that teaches doctrine. Now, that doesn't mean the hymn book that we have in our pews here are the only hymns that we have. In fact, if any song teaches you about God, 
That's a hymn. That's a hymn because it is teaching you about who God is. You just happen to be able to sing it. And then finally, you have spiritual songs, which are songs of praise. Usually shorter songs that you're able to sing and memorize very easily. And those are songs that give God praise, very basically. But what Paul is really getting at when he says these three is, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you want to worship God. When, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when this church is filled with the Holy Spirit, we want to sing the songs that we sing every Sunday. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes find myself wanting to listen to them and sing them throughout the week. That's the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to praise God. You want to gather with other Christians to worship him. And Paul says, don't stop that. Keep gathering together. Keep worshiping God. That's the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The other result is that we would give praise and thanks to God. That we would, we would constantly realize what God has done in our life and we would be praising God for that. And then also we would have mediation. That is to say, it wouldn't just be us going to God, but the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ would go before us and speak to the Father on our behalf. So we talked about how the Holy Spirit is in our life. Well, the Holy Spirit is speaking to the Father on our behalf. And not only that, Jesus is with the Father, and he's praying for us, and he's speaking to the Father about us, which means your relationship with God is actually a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So living a wise life is keeping that in mind and remembering that when you go to the Father, Jesus has already gone to him for you. He's the reason you have access to the Father. And when you speak to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit bringing you to him to speak to him. And then finally, uh, this one I believe, it, it, I, I got to tell you, outlining this message was really difficult because we've put here this word subjection. I, I've put it under being filled with the Spirit, which is a result of the difference between wisdom and foolishness. I, I would say at the end of the day, this is the result of living a wise life, of living a life that's seeking after the will of the Father. This is the result of living a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the result that the world sees in our church that we would be subject to one another. And the reason I say that is, for one, it comes at the end of all of this, but then also we're going to cover it in the next two weeks. We're going to talk about what it really means to be subject one to another. What does it really mean to put myself in a servant's place to anybody in this church? Well, for Paul in his day, you wouldn't do that. In, in Paul's day, if you had a title in whatever organization you were in, you flaunted that title. You let everybody know that you were in a place of honor. And this was expected in his society. This was expected that if you were a lawyer, if you were a judge, if you were uh, a Roman soldier, if you were of any kind of stature, in your community, you flaunted that so that everybody knew that they served you. And you would take advantage of that. It was very normal. 
You would walk in and you would expect others to serve you. And then if you found somebody that had a higher title than you, they would flaunt that over you and so you would serve them. And the whole idea was that this would go up the chain of command and this would rise all the way to the emperor. And so uh, Paul is teaching something brand new. He's teaching that even if you have a title, even if you have importance in your life, you still subject yourself to somebody in your church that by worldly standards doesn't have anything to flaunt. Think about that for a second. Paul's church had slaves in it. Paul's church had people that owned nothing and owed people, and so they would work off that debt, and they weren't even considered to own themselves. They were owned by somebody else. And Paul is telling somebody in that church who probably owns his own business, who probably has some kind of, some kind of stature in the community, he's saying, oh, no, you need to be subject to the slave that's in our church. You need to subject yourselves one to the other. Well, what does this mean for us here today? Why don't we skip down to the application? And I want to keep following that point. So that's actually at point number two. What does that mean for us today? We don't play politics in the church. We don't play politics when we worship God. You see, what happens in any kind of organization is individuals begin to be fearful that they're losing something or missing out on something. And so when that fear starts to arise in them, what they can do is they start to hoard power. They start to grab as much influence as possible and then use that to manipulate the organization how they see fit. And so what happens is they come in with some kind of influence or some kind of power and they try to use that to change things so that it feels better for them. And Paul says, that is foolish living. You are a fool if you think you can come into the body of Christ and try to get others to do your bidding to go in the direction that you think the body of Christ should go in. No, be wise. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come into this place and realize that our identity does not lie in any accomplishments we have outside of this church. Our identity lies solely in Jesus Christ. Which means when we make decisions, we go to one another. We subject ourselves to one another. And guess what? When somebody makes a decision that you don't really like, you talk with them about it. And if that decision still goes on, you support them anyway. You encourage them. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, being the body of Christ, means that we are living with one another as servants to one another. This is the result of wise living. This is the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, if you think that's tough, come back next week. We're going to talk about what it means for wives to subject yourself to your husbands and husbands to love your wives. And come back the week after that because we're going to talk about how kids should listen to their parents. I got two up here. And how slaves should obey their masters. This gets really tough as Paul dives into this because he is giving commands that anybody in the Roman world would look at and say, that's nuts. 
That's not going to work. That is a horrible decision. And Paul said, no, this is a wise decision. This is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then two other points that we have uh, here today is to care about what the will of God is. We, we said that before, but it's worth saying again. Be seeking out what God's will is for your life. Be seeking it because as he reveals his will to you, you will begin to find that it's the best decision for your life. And not only that, as he reveals his will to you, you're actually going to find that he's going to give you the strength to follow through with his will and to follow what he's calling you to do. And then finally, and we do this every Sunday, I'm so thankful, spending time in worship to God. Spending time, taking moments that, that you would step away from the life that you have outside of this church and you would purposefully meet with God and speak with him and discern his will for your life. We do this on Sunday mornings and, and we don't ever want to give up meeting together as a church because this is a time that we come together to worship God and to discern his will. But there are six other days throughout the week that God is longing for you to pause and meet with them and ask him what his will is for your life. We do this through reading scripture. We do this through prayer. We do this through, uh, through listening to mu- worship music or singing songs to God. This is a time that we can come into God's presence on our own and listen to what he has to say. So, we have this before us. Are, are we going to live a wise life, or are we going to live a foolish life? Are we going to live a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit, discerning what God's will is, or are we going to live a life that tells God we've got it on our own? Our call today is to live a wise life, discerning what God's will is for us and being filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you for your scripture. Thank you for your word and what you have to say to us today. Uh, We pray, God, that as we leave this place, Lord, for anyone that's been discerning what your will is for their life, I pray that you would speak to them. I pray that others around them would be listening to you and would be able to speak into their hearts, into their lives, what your will is. Lord, for anyone that's struggling to live a careful life, we pray that you would give them the strength. Give them the strength to say no to sin. Give them the strength to say no to foolish living. Lord, we pray that as we leave this place, we would know that we are filled with your spirit. We would know that you are speaking to us and that we would make the right decisions for you. We pray this all in your name. Amen.